0: And it's great to have each and every one of you here. We're looking tonight at the book of Mark, chapter 4. Sunday we had a big uh, jump in attendance, didn't we? I think uh, we had 27 more last week than the week before, so that's good. Folks are starting to trickle back in. And they tell me there are still 30 or 40 people out that haven't come back after the virus. So... Uh, we pray that you know maybe they will come back soon. And of course, we really need to pray for the virus to end. Uh, if you would just stand for just a moment, stretch your legs, and then I'm going to read the text. And then, if you have a Bible question about anything else uh, or a testimony, you know, uh, feel free to share that. Uh, I've been asked so many times about voting. How do I vote? I'll tell you how I vote. I vote according to things that are in the Bible. I'm pro-Israel, pro-life, pro-traditional marriage. I'm against welfare and all the handouts. I'm not against helping women and children, but the Bible says if a man, a healthy man, doesn't work, he shouldn't, you know, this whole idea. So I'm against that. So that's how I vote. I don't preach politics. And we're not going to hinder anybody from coming to church, no matter where they stand. I will preach all those things from time to time. But just wanted to mention that. While we're standing, let's read Mark chapter 4, verses 26. And I didn't even tell you that, but you had the handout so you know where I was going. And he said, so is the kingdom of God as, you mark that word right, if a man should cast seed into the ground and should, she, and, the, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring up and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth immediately, he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. Let's pray. God bless us. Thank you for your word. And Lord, help us to uh, study, always looking to find ourselves in Scripture. Not to point to others, but to look into the glass of the Word, as James calls it, the mirror. And see ourselves, because we need work on the inside. Bless us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Any Bible questions or testimony? I like evening services to have testimonies. A chance for you to share what the Lord's done in your life. Any Bible questions? Brother Don. Well, I know we didn't have a missionary moment tonight, but I, I do want to ask the church to continue to be in prayer for Pastor Martin and Anchor Hope Church in Nicaragua. Uh, they're going out doing street evangelism, being able to provide some rice and beans for those in need. Uh, they're staying busy. Some of us were able to send some funds down there, and, and they use that to with rice and beans, but also Bible trash, and some Bibles. Amen, great word. They they do great. You guys probably see it from time to time on on our Facebook page and stuff. Don't ignore it. You may not understand everything it's in Spanish, but you'll get a blessing out of it. You really will. Thank you, Brother Don. I met Don's wife Sunday morning, and in about 30 seconds, I got to spend... 30 seconds were there, I walked away and thought, that is the sweetest lady. I'll bet when she calls you honey, you break out in hives. Uh, I'm married. <laughs> All right. Anyone else? Testimony? Question? All right, Mark chapter 4. Remember, parables are identified by two little words, not every time, but often enough for you to learn how to recognize the parable. The words like and as, which we just read a moment ago. And they're... Sp- Fictional stories that illustrate truth. So they're fictional, but they illustrate nonfiction. Um, And we know Mark is writing here. And we know he wrote to the Roman people and all the others outside of Palestine. He was a Levite of the tribe of Levi. And we know he writes chronologically, as the text will say. Now, this parable is unique to Mark. You know, when there's other parallel passages, it's always on your notes. There's not. This is unique to Mark. And, uh, he, uh, he's, he's writing to teach a practical lesson and the practical lesson is patience. You know, we want things to grow, 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 and, and we plant things and expect the harvest tomorrow And the same is true in spiritual principles. I have learned that just because I pray for something for a month doesn't necessarily happen for a year. For 10 years, there's something in my heart I've been praying for for 20 some years, still haven't seen it answered. I fasted days before. I'm not fasting now or I wouldn't tell you, but I fasted for that thing and God just hasn't worked there. So we sometimes think that when we sow, we reap Tomorrow. Like we do some good thing, and we do certain things that are good on a regular basis, and we don't see fruit, and we wonder why. Well, God's harvest time will come. We don't always know when. And that's the lesson. The lesson here is on patience. G. Campbell Morgan tells us that. And we know that uh, uh, the theological le- po- lesson is the power of the gospel. Romans 16, we probably know the verse, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And he goes on to describe it as the power. The gospel is supernaturally powerful. If you witness to somebody and you begin to quote scripture, they're automatically nervous. The Holy Spirit begins to work on them. The supernatural power of the word of God. We need to believe that. We need to believe when we take up the sword of the spirit, it's a great weapon to defeat Satan. And so we remember that. Um. And of course we know that we are at the mercy of God and he's the one who holds the power to save us. The Pharisees and Sadducees taught self-righteousness. We know that Jesus here teaches that germination is all of God and not the work of man. Any anywhere you, any text you go to in the New Testament about sowing and reaping it always says that God gives the increase. God's the difference maker. You can plant seed that doesn't mean it's going to grow. I'm, I'm not very good. I've got a lot of flowers in my yard, but they're all perennials. I learned that they come back every year, so I've taken the easy route. But years ago, I had some friends named Charles and Joanne Tabor, dear friends of mine. from They were down, lived down in Chicken Maga at the time. They, they went to be with the Lord, but we were real tight, and, and I was learning about planting seeds. And I got some seeds at home, and I read—I had never planted seeds—I read on the package— what I thought meant one foot, it only meant one inch. So I planted those seeds, and I watered the ground, and I watered it, and I couldn't figure out. I did everything the package said to do, and I never saw flowers. And they came by the house one time and said, well, tell us what you did. And I showed them the package. I said, I followed it. Well, did you, do you think you'd buried them, you know, more than an inch? I said, an inch. I said, I thought it's a foot. And, and they laughed for a day over that. And they said, well, when you go back to Japan, you'll probably find your flowers. (laughs) And so, you know, I I just didn't know about planting. And I was getting impatient because I was wanting these beautiful flowers. And I've learned over the years that plants are hard to really get to germinate and to produce. A lot of those seeds are weak and the birds eat them up. And so many of these biblical passages apply to actual flower planting. I can't even get success in a pot sometimes, but so here the reason is clear that the the patience and dependence on God and for our church to grow, we need to outreach out. I was visiting. That's why I was a little late getting here. I was visiting a family that two ladies that sat over in that area came to uh, Sunday and got over there, and she said, "Oh well, they sent they have their mail sent here, but they live right across the street from the church." And I mean, I was way. Way in the back edge of from by the old junkyards and stuff down there visiting. And they weren't there. And uh, so I was a little late. But, but every visit that I make has to be God anointed. I mean, it, it's all God gives the increase. When we witness, it's all about God. We may sow the seed and we may even pick harvest, pick the fruit. But who gave the increase? God's the determining factor keep witnessing, but realize it's all God. And the kingdom of God is just, it says here, just like a man who casts a seed. The seed's planted, uh, then plant growth, then finally the harvest. And notice where he places this parable. Remember, Mark is chronological. He puts this parable in between two other parables about sowing, in between the sower and the soil and the mustard seed parable. And that's because Mark is chronological. It's the correct place for the parable. If you look at the other Gospels on the other parables, they won't have this one in the middle. Mark uh, placed this here in the perfect chronological order. And we know, of course, the power of the, the Word of God, the potency of the seed and the harvest, of course, is a victory I have here, but the growth is a mystery. Hebrews 4.12. I said this a moment ago, but I didn't quote the Scripture. It says, but the Word of God, uh, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It can divide the joints and the marrow and discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And I got it pretty close. I paraphrased it a little bit. Think about the supernatural power of the Word of God. When you witness to somebody, you don't have to try and figure out what their sin is. Word of God takes care of that. It knows their intentions and their thoughts. What you have to do is just share the gospel. And whatever they're struggling with, the Holy Spirit will convict them. We shouldn't try to do the work of the Spirit. You know, too many times I know Christians that go up to somebody, and we talked last week about putting the, uh, you know, cart before the horse and casting your pearls before swine and try to tell them how to live when they're not even saved. That's so wrong. But it's also wrong to try to be their Holy Spirit and to judge them for whatever sin they have. I don't even like a preacher to get up and preach second opinions and say, and this sin and that sin, when they're not listed in the Bible as sins, why do you have to make up your, your sin list of things you think are sin that aren't in the Bible? You know, because there's enough sin in the Bible to preach, we don't have to preach what we see as sin. God's Word clearly defines sin and lists a whole lot of them. You know, and so we should preach everything in the Bible, but we don't need to preach our opinions. I've heard so many things that are wrong over the years that I've been baffled by it. I, I was told years ago, 40 years ago, that playing cards was wrong. Well, I didn't know why they thought it was wrong. Nobody ever explained it to me. They just told me it's wrong. It's wrong. And it's what I heard in the sermon one time. It's wrong. It's wrong. Playing cards is wrong. So I asked someone who was really an extremist in all areas, I said, well, we play, what about root cards? No, no, that's just a substitute, they're wrong too. And so everything was wrong, and and this, this kind of leadership made everything in, in my world wrong, and I thought, I don't find any of this stuff in the Bible, you know? And I mean, I've heard pre- preachers say monopoly's wrong, because you're thinking about money and being rich, and I've heard so many goofball things, I just... You know, now that I teach hermeneutics and homiletics, I want to just go throw up when I hear that stuff because it's just not in the Bible. And those those are hyperboles. They're, They're exaggerated examples of little things in my life. But think of all the things you've heard over the years that you had to finally go look in your Bible and say, well, I just couldn't find it here. You know, we have enough to try to live up to the standard of Jesus. We don't need people to add a long laundry list. And that's what the Pharisees and Sadducees did. They had this long list of things. And they had all these things on their garments to show off and how many commandments and all that. And they let everybody knew where they went and prayed and how much they gave and all that. It was all a show. But God wasn't impressed because God looks in the heart. So we need to recognize the word of God will do the job for us. No one can explain that a dead seed brings forth a plant. Look at John 12. And this is a great verse because you really—it's really difficult. John twelve twenty three, to really understand planting. Verily, I, verily, or truly, truly is what that means. Verily, verily, I say unto you: Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Isn't it interesting that before that seed can bring fruit, it has to die? Isn't that fascinating? Now, folks, what does that tell us? What practical application can we make here? It's not in our notes. That's one. How can we apply it to our lives? We need to die to self before we'll ever bring fruit in our life. Die to your old nature. You can't produce fruit from your flesh. To be a fruit-producing Christian, you have to die to your old nature, die to self. I must decrease, he must increase. I have to die daily. I'm your pastor. I'm telling you, I have to die daily. Today I met with some Christian men, and one of them said to me, Brother Dan, every day I think about women in the wrong way. You know, I I like that. Not, Not thinking about women in the wrong way. I like that he's transparent enough to say, this is what I battle. And I wanted to say join the crowd because all men struggle all day long. But I try to give him words of encouragement to say, well, God knows that. Confess it regularly. But as long as we have this old nature, we're going to have to die daily. I have news for you. Coming forward to an altar and making some big decision will last you about till you get home. And when you get home, that same thing's going to steer you right in the face. And you say, well, I made an emotional, passionate decision. I, I came forward and I made that decision. And it's good to come forward. Why? Because people pray for you. So don't, don't think it's not good to come forward. My point is, we oftentimes think that one spontaneous decision changes everything. I can wash my hands of it. Doesn't work that way, does it? Because the next day you're facing that same junk again. And you've got to battle it again. I, I, I would like to add to what John says, but I'm not going to add to the Word of God. I need to die momentarily, moment by moment, not just day by day. And, you know, it, it, it's every time I preach, I always go to the Lord and say, Lord, I've done this or that, or I've thought this or that. Because I know that if I want fruit from the Word of God, I need to for my life, I need to be right with God. Now, the word won't return void, but I need to be right in delivering the word. It's important that my sin is confessed. And so I, I deal with that on a regular basis. But we have to die. So the farmer sows, he waits on God, and he trusts, and he trusts. We just, we just can't germinate seed. And we really can't explain how it germinates. Because it dies. It dies. And that doesn't make any sense that something would be totally dead and yet it would produce life. But God made it that way. There's so many fascinating things in our creation that we can't explain. We'll talk about some of those on Sunday. But Joshua, he had to trust God for walls to fall. Can you you imagine being Joshua? (laughs) All right, march around the city. Every day for seven days and then seven, seven times and then blow the trumpet and the walls are going to fall down. Yeah, right. That's because we don't have the faith we need to have. We, we say, yes, amen, he should have believed. But you know what? How many of us would have believed that? Can you imagine Noah had never rained? Ever. Ever rained. It had never rained. and That's the first time it ever rained in our creation was the day of Noah. All right, I want you to go build this great big boat. I know there's no water here. You're in the middle of the desert. But build this massive boat, bigger than this church building, this massive boat and get all this stuff together, and I'll take care of the rest. And he's working on this boat and working on this boat. He didn't work on the boat for a month. <laughs> How long did he work on the boat? I know, what was it? Somebody remember? I'm trying to think. My, my Year? Huh? How long? I don't remember. I should look it up. Hotter than 20. Think of that. And everybody's laughing at them. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you building? And they're laughing and they're scoffing. And then the animals come two by two. Had God come to us and said that to us, we'd probably say, come on, that doesn't make any sense. But they believed God. Read Hebrews 12. They all believed God. And you know what's sad? We look at those miracles and think, well, yeah, it was a time of miracles, and we see things like that happen in those days and so forth, but what about today? But why don't you believe God when he tells you to trust in him on something little in your life? Huh? Just something little. Just something real small. Just believe him. Don't try and build an ark in the desert. Just say, God, help me to trust you. You know, whenever you're complaining, you're not believing. When you're fretting, you're not believing. Well, I'm sick and tired of this constant. You're not, you're not, that's not faith. That's sin. Anything that's not of faith is sin. So scripture tells us. So, we don't intellectually perceive, perceive, excuse me, but do need to experience. We, we, need, to, we, we, we need to experience God's process. In John 3:8, a practical verse we all are familiar with, John chapter three verse eight. He says the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You can't figure it out. Can you figure out the wind and all about how the wind blows and all that stuff? No. And it's the same with people being saved. You just, you just, it's it's something we can't intellectually understand, but we have to just Experience it to be saved, and we have to experience it to understand other people coming to know the Lord. I don't understand why some people are saved and others aren't. It would seem logical to me for everyone that gets in trouble to be saved, but you know, it's interesting because the Bible said it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. We always think it's the bad things, but the goodness of God leads people to repentance. And people we've witnessed to that never get saved. We don't understand that. And other people almost sometimes come up and say, I need to be saved. (laughs) I was in Panama and we had a black lady in our church get saved. Her name was Minnie Beulah. And Minnie said, I want my husband to get saved, Brother Dan, would you go visit him? And I said, sure. She said, well, I wanna warn you, he doesn't like preachers and he doesn't like white people. I'm like, well, that's great. I got two things going for me. I'm a white preacher. And I went to his house, and he opened the door, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a big, at the time, I was a big guy. I'm just a fat old guy now, but I mean, I was big and strong and, you know, lifted weights, and I worked out, played ball. And I went to the door thinking, I can handle this. You're always nervous, of course. He opens the door, and this huge guy is standing there, traps on his, trap tra- 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 muscles on his shoulders. And he just opened the door, and he looked at me like this, and I thought, man, he's big should I run now I I said listen I your wife wants you to come to church she wants you to be saved she loves you she asked me to come and see you And he said okay and he shut the door (laughs) that Sunday I had an evangelist named Ed Carter there he's a black fella Ed was one of the guys didn't get on the Marshall plane that crashed and everybody was killed he wouldn't be in the movie because of all the cussing they'll never talk about him in the movie Because his testimony is that he didn't believe he should be part of that movie. But Ed missed the plane because his grandmother said, don't get on the plane. I don't have peace about it. I don't remember the whole story. So Ed missed the plane. He was drafted by, I believe, the Cowboys and signed with the Bills. And in training camp, he pulled a muscle in his thigh, tore a hamstring. And and in that week at training camp, God called him to preach. So I knew him from seminary. And I had him come down to preach meetings, and Ed was big, and he wasn't afraid of anything, of course. And guess who showed up that Sunday morning? Got saved. Curtis Beulah. Came forward, broken, got saved. You, you You can't explain that. It's the power of the Word of God. That power can break down that hatred for white preachers. When he left Panama, someone said, Brother Dan, you need to say goodbye to the Beulahs, they're out in the parking lot, because this is their last Sunday. The military was moving them, and I went out there, and I mean, he about broke me in half, and he cried, and we hugged, and I thought that wouldn't be possible without the power of the Word of God. (laughs) Because that guy ended up loving me, you know, That's, that's that can only happen by the grace of God, you know. well, 1 Corinthians 3.6 is something you ought to mark in your Bible, but it just simply says God gives the increase. We water, we plant, we do all this, we do all that, but you know what? The flowers may not come up in Japan or in America. Because God is the one that gives the increase. And it's the same in your spiritual life. You do what you can do, but you have to depend on God. Did you know as believers we need to learn to depend on God for everything? God even cares about the little things. There's times I've gotten so mad working on my car and throwing tools down. I used to work on my car a lot because in those days we didn't have the computers. And I mean I've had, I did some of the dumbest things. My brother-in-law is a mechanic for UPS. I had a Camaro and I had to change a clutch, so I dropped the transmission on my chest on the asphalt and i'm laying there thinking what do i do now i couldn't get out from under it and i couldn't slide out i didn't know you're supposed to have a roller thing i thought i was strong enough but there's not enough space to move around so i'm hollering for help and one of my family comes out and i said get kyle to come over here he come over and he's just like he laughed before he got under there to help me He said how dumb can you get well i'm that dumb <laughs> transmissions are pretty heavy camaro i had a I bought this souped-up car that I didn't know how to work on. And he said, I told you when you got this car, this is not a car for you. It had a 396 with 411 traction and chrome rings chrome rings, and high-dome pistons and holly. All this stuff, I didn't know what it was. Larry knows what all that stuff is. I can, he could probably explain to me and tell me what those parts all do. And it would pull the wheels off the ground. Well, that sold me, you know. So... I mean, I bought the car, but getting a car like that and maintaining a car like that is, they're two different things. So I'm laying under that car singing and I, and and I'm mad at everybody but me. Why didn't somebody tell me? Why did God have this happen to me? Well, you know, there's manuals, there's questions, you know, you can ask. It was all on me, but I was blaming God and certainly that was sinful. And, uh, I don't know how I got on that Camaro, but I've never forgotten that, but uh, totally off the subject. I love Philippians 1.6. It's my life's verse. When I came to Bible college, I came to play basketball, and a guy met me at the door and said, you're gonna be a preacher, I'll never forget that. I said, no, I'm not, and then my roommate, Lloyd knows him, uh, Rudy, uh, Mel Stembridge was my roommate, the so, first day I got to college. And he and I were on opposite side of of the spiritual world. I was carnal, had my Led Zeppelin music, had my long hair. They had to make me get a haircut right away. It was Tennessee Temple, and they were strict in the 70s, I'll tell you. And he said, what's your life verse? A few weeks later, I said, what do you mean a life verse? What's your life verse? I said, I don't have a life verse. What does that mean? He said, well, mine's Philippians 1.6. I said, good, that's mine too then. So I started looking at verse. And little did I realize that was part of God's plan for me. So often I go back to that verse. Being confident, not in me, that he who hath begun a good work in me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So that verse became awesome for for me. That's how I got it. I just copied his. But it ended up meaning something. And God knew that me picking that verse would someday matter to me. But... uh, Our influence is not important. We need to be obedient. Too often we take credit for for God's work. I had a guy in my church in Panama. Every week he'd stand up. I won five souls today. I won three souls. Well, I believe in witnessing and soul winning, okay? But he would always pop up. And finally someone said, where are these people? We haven't baptized them. And I was glad they said it, but they shouldn't have said it. You know what I mean? You know how your flesh, that felt good. But it shouldn't have been said, but the truth is, a lot of people brag on all their exploits. I don't even like it when they say how many people read their Bible through in a year. I think, should I, I don't want to raise my hand, but I don't not want to raise my hand. I'm a minister, should I? You know, I do believe that you know, when we get a pat on the back here, you have your reward, sir, Luke says. So we, we have to be careful because a lot of people want to take credit for the work of God. And, and it's totally God. We trust Him for the harvest. We sow the right doctrine, the right seed. Uh, some believe, as, as I've got noted here, the gospel's outdated, but the Word of God endureth forever. And if you're wise, you'll depend on it for growth, for everything. And uh, the earth brings forth fruit. And it's God's providence and power which causes it to grow. The words of herself. You see the words of herself here. I'm not even in Mark, but let's go back to Mark. And you can mark these in your Bible. The words of herself. Uh, And I can't even find where I want to read. Uh, Verse 28, Verse the words of herself, It's a Greek word, automaios. It means automatic. So in other words, the earth bringeth forth automatically. First the blade. You know, that's the little part that germinates first. You see that little break in the ground. That's automatic. When the seed takes hold, you have these, this automatic process. I like Acts 12.10. It talks about the gate opening on its own accord. Um, I'm going to read that in Acts chapter 12 and verse 10. Peter's in prison. If this story doesn't get you excited, and I've got to be careful because I could preach this right now, but, you know, the gates just open up and he's free from prison. Now, we say automatically, but... Nothing's automatic without God behind the scenes. God opened the gates, and God causes the growth. And when you drove to church tonight, it was by God's grace that you were even alive and could even operate a motor vehicle. So God does everything in his time. All right, the application of your life, God will establish his kingdom in his time. He will allow us to sow this seed and reap the harvest. We may not even harvest the harvest, but we see that we plant the seed. The phrase puteth in literally means apostle. The words put in means apostle or sent one. That's the, the root word for our the word apostles. But anyway, we, we have to be obedient in planting the seed. We're commanded to plant the seed. We're commanded to when the harvest is ready to pick the fruit, those are coming, but we can't control what's in between, but you know, you will plant seed and you may never pick the harvest of that particular seed. Whenever someone's come to know the Lord in my life that I've had anything to do with that, many times it was not me that planted the first seed. It was their coworker. I talked about a guy's son, Dan Flaherty. It was his wife that planted the seed every day in their marriage. I want you to be saved. You know, I just picked the harvest. That's nothing. That's easy. Everybody likes to pick the fruit. When I was a kid, my mom and dad would get, buy things from farmers. We'd go to a farm. We'd pick ears of corn, pick apples, pick blueberries. We had to work in those days. (laughs) My dad believed if you didn't work when you were a kid, you don't eat either, I guess. But we worked hard and we had to learn to shuck corn, you know, peel beans and all that. It's easy to enjoy the fruit of the harvest. You know, but there's a lot of work that goes into that ground before you ever, ever enjoy it. Well, here are some answers, and some of these you do later. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick and what? Powerful. The gospel of Christ, for it is the power, and you can finish that later. John 12.24, we know the seed has to die. And according to 1 Corinthians 3.6, Who gives the increase? God. Now, what is the commandment of Mark 16, 15? It is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That commission was given to the 12, we should say 11 in the upper room after Jesus was raised from the dead, after he resurrected. And that command was given to the 12 and they went out and began to sow seed. And do you know what you are? You're a product of them sowing seed 2,000 years ago because they sowed seed and harvest was reaped, and they sowed seed. And when I read a month or so ago about all the apostles and how they died, do you remember how interesting it was that they were spread all over? Did you notice that? I don't think I said much about that. Some died in Ethiopia, in Europe, in Turkey, in all these different places. They went into all the world to reach Gentiles. And so we're a product of the, that seed sown. Can a believer be right with God without witnessing? No. We are told to have our feet shod with a preparation of the gospel. I was asked a question this week about the uh, armor of God. And uh, I can't remember who asked me. I'll think in a minute of who it was. I wanted to talk about the armor. Oh, my son Jeremy, he's preaching on the armor, and he wanted to pick my brain, so he called me from South Dakota, and we talking about each part of the armor, and I explained to him what I'm going to explain to you. You know how feet being shod is part of the armor? It's part of the armor because when you are a consistent witness, no one asks you to come to their drunken party. No one asks you to do things because the thing, oh, he's a holy roller. I remember years ago, I went in a little convenience store, and someone I'd been witness to saw me, and I'm not kidding you, they didn't know I saw it, but they bolted out of the store. I saw me in one of those mirrors up in the corner. They saw me, and I saw the whole thing in there. They got out of there. You know, they're not gonna ask me to go out drinking with them because they're under conviction. So you see why it's important to be a witness? In your neighborhood and at work. Keeps you out of trouble. It's part of the armor. It's the one part that you may not have understood. And there's times I didn't understand. And I do now. It's so important. And of course, highlight or underline, Matt, these two other places. And according to Acts 1.8, what does the Holy Spirit empower us to do? And that's a great, great verse. had a lady in my church talk about when the Spirit came on her. She was attending our church and going to another church. And we met her in a little uh, cafeteria, my wife and I. Her name was Becky. And she doubted her salvation, but she she was backslidden, but she's always miserable. And she said she missed those times when the power of God came upon her. And she would speak in tongues or do some really crazy things. And she's talking about that. And I said, you know, I have found a different experience with the Holy Spirit that when he comes upon me and empowers me, it's to be what, folks? What does it say there? Witnesses. Let's look at the verse. Acts 1.8. And you know the verse. And ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be... I'm not even there, but you, you... And ye shall be what? Witnesses. So we're given... Supernatural power. And then look at Matthew 28. And we're, we're out of time. Uh, but Matthew chapter 28. Any questions, feel free to ask them. Read this verse and I'll be done. 28, 18. And it uh, says here, And Jesus came and spake unto them all power. Now that's not the same word as Acts. This is the word authority. Both of them are translated power, but in Acts, it's dynamite. So you have dynamite, supernatural power. But you also had have, God, have God-given authority. There's a lot of alls in here, all power, uh, all nations, all people, uh, all ways. But all power is given unto you in heaven and earth. Go, ye therefore, and teach all nations. Why does it say teach? Because we are supposed to make disciples. If there's one thing that nauseates me about our Baptist, you know, I've been a Baptist for a lot of years. Well, 12 years old, do the math. That's like 20 plus years, right? It's over 20 years. Over 50 years. But, and Baptists are big on numbers and winning people, but they're not big on something that comes after winning and baptizing. It's teaching them all things. We're weak on discipleship. In your lifetime, if you could spend lots of time with one person to repeat your experience in the life, even if it's your own child or grandchild or neighbor or friend, if you can do that once in your lifetime, and if every Christian did one in their lifetime, we'd be done with the Great Commission. But we're not done yet. Remember, discipling people, teaching them all things is the, com- is the commission given to us. When baptize and teach them. Once they're saved, you don't need to preach at them. You need to teach them the word of God. I, 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 I love teaching. I love to hear a teacher. I remember going to conferences excited, There's Lehman Strauss or someone's going to, and I'd mark my Bible and learn. I just love that stuff. Loved it. Still do love it. And I've, then I go to a different kind of conference and the guy gets up and screams and hollers about, bless God, we don't need teachers. And I'm like, what? Jesus was the rabbi. What does that mean? Teacher. We're to be, as bishops, we're to be apt to what? Teach. And the pastor teacher is one and the same. If you're not learning and marking your Bible, you're not growing. Hearing worn out slogans doesn't help you grow. Learning the Bible verse by verse, word by word helps you grow.